All right, welcome back to another episode of the Laravel Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Stauffer. Uh, can you guys introduce yourselves? I am Jeffrey Way with Laracasts. And I'm Taylor Otwell. Oh my gosh, that was so epic. I feel like I need like one of those like, boom, 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 introducing, you know. All right, so we've got a lot on our plate in a short amount of time. So I'm not going to waste time on anything. We're just going to jump into it. So the first thing that's going on is, Taylor, you've been dropping some some hints and statements. I know you, you're maybe, you, you released the alpha of Spark. We'll talk about that in a second. But you know, I think post-Spark alpha, you've been moving on to some other things. You talked about a couple of things. And one of the things you talked about on Twitter this week was Laracon 2016. We've got some dates, possibly, some locations, some some plans. Tell us more about what's going on. So, I uh, yeah, I have started working on Laracon 2016. It feels early, but with these venues, sometimes you have to uh, get in early because they do fill up, especially these nicer venues, they fill up pretty fast. Uh, so, like, actually for this year, we had wanted to do it in June, but the venue was already booked up, and this was like in November or December. And so we had to push it back to August. But, uh, yeah, the dates I have on hold for next year, Laracon 2016, are uh, June 22nd through June 24th. And I think we're going to revisit Louisville, try to really perfect uh, that location. Uh, so same venue, except adding an additional day for workshops and just all around sort of uh, enhance the experience with things we learned this year. So I think it's going to be really good. We're going to try to really like double down on Laravel, have a few Laravel workshops, uh, more Laravel talks, kind of make it a celebration of all things uh, Laravel related cool i liked i like the venue a lot and i i found that i really enjoyed the city uh i i may or may not just be looking forward to going back to one particular coffee shop but even outside of that coffee <laughs> shop it's a pretty great spot so it's cool to kind of come back to a place where people will be familiar with and you will too right so that'll hopefully make it easier for you yeah right there's a lot of advantages so like the Amsterdam conference, of course, they've had three years to uh, in EU to perfect sort of what they want to do in Amsterdam. And we haven't really had that opportunity in the U.S. yet because we've changed cities every year. So I think doing the same city uh, twice will give us a lot of opportunity to really to flesh out the whole conference a lot more. Yeah. And my, my original thinking was like, oh, if you go to Kentucky, there's just not going to be as many people who can who can travel down south. But then it's like you're going to sell out the venue no matter what. So that's really not a concern. Yeah. And backing it up to June gives uh, people that have kids. Uh, school started, you know, right around the time of the conference. Like, for instance, uh, James, our son, started school the very next week. And we actually missed his open house uh, this year because of Laracon stuff. So uh, backing it up earlier in the summer, I think, will be more convenient. And these these particular dates are Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, so it sort of butts up against the weekend, which we didn't have this year as well. That's cool because I, w- my wife and I have been talking a lot about her and my son finally coming on one of these trips. Uh, and if it was butting up against the weekend, that means you know I could stick around for a couple extra days and uh, have the family there and have no responsibilities for a couple days. So that sounds really great. Yeah, should be cool. I'm also excited about the Laravel focus. I know that we have kind of prided ourselves in having you know diverse you know, uh, sets of, and I'm, I'm not to say that it'll be all Laravel speakers or anything like that. But I, and I gave, you know, a soft talk at Laracon E, which I really loved, but I'm also excited about like something new, like the idea of spending an entire conference primarily digging into Laravel and maybe getting deeper into some things or covering some things we never had the chance to cover before. The past couple of years have been pretty diverse, uh, in us and EU. Um, so yeah, having a year to really, to kind of double down on Laravel. And like you said, have a few, uh, have a few softer business talks thrown in. Um, 
will be really cool, I think. Yeah, and I imagine it'll get a little bit of criticism, but you know what? Like, people are going to complain no matter what. Um, When I went to the last two Laracons, that was the number one thing that came up, is people, you know, they're there to celebrate Laravel. They want to learn more about Laravel. They want to be part of that community. So maybe when they hear talks that aren't necessarily related to Laravel at all, they don't, I don't know, they don't respond to as well. So I think this time, like, even if we only do it once, just to have one conference that is completely focused on Laravel, I personally think would be really exciting. Yeah. I mean, there are lots of conferences, right? Like, there are dozens of PHP conferences. Um, so if you want a lot of talks about random PHP things, I think that you have so many options that having Laracon be primarily Laravel-focused makes a lot of sense. Um, so other new things, I mentioned this, and let's dig a little bit deeper into it. The alpha of Spark came out earlier this week and i know that um so eric barnes did a little quick walkthrough i did a little bit of a a deeper dive through and you've done two talks now laricon us and laricon eu um and jeffrey i think you you might be holding out until it's actually finalized so you don't have a whole bunch of videos from an alpha that you then have to go re-record five times yeah the videos take so long so if i do it now it's just it doesn't make sense so once spark gets closer closer to a release date i'll do a i'll do a big series on it I mean, even with the blog post, I'm a little bit of an idiot writing that much when I know it's going to change as many times as it is. But going in and changing some markdown is much easier than re-recording an entire video. Right. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, ta- Taylor, what's what's next? So, uh, let's assume that folks have heard about Spark, they've seen your talk, and they understand what it is, and they maybe even have played with the alpha. So, what's next in terms of plans or timelines or anything else? So, I worked on Spark for probably six to eight weeks before I pushed out this alpha and um, I think it's pretty good. I wanted to get a lot of feedback from people because um, it's sort of an opinionated thing, but we want it to be somewhat flexible so that you can customize it for your needs and stuff. And I think there's still so much cool stuff like I would really like to do. Um, I've kind of taken a break from it for a couple of weeks just to sort of uh, reset my brain and, and kind of work on other stuff for a little bit. But so I think it's in a pretty good state. You know, it's very usable. I've already seen like one one SaaS app uh, that a guy showed me that's already been built on it. Um, and it really does save you a lot of time. Uh, some other some things that people have brought up so far, just to uh, give listeners an idea, is like if you're in EU, which I knew this would be an issue, but you have this whole VATMOS tax system, which, um, long story short, when you sell digital goods in the EU, you have to charge a tax based on where the person buying it is is buying it from. So if they buy, if I happen to live in the UK or in the EU and uh, I sold Forge to someone in, let's say, Germany, I would have to charge them a certain tax rate for German buyers to Forge. It's a it's a real headache because you have to calculate all these percentages. Well, someone that lives in EU has has written this VATMOS calculator for, you know, EU users so they can figure out the correct tax. Um, I think some of the team stuff can still be fleshed out a little bit, but I wanted to get this alpha out there with like a lot of disclaimers that things will change just to start gathering up, you know, those ideas and get some feedback. But most of the feedback has actually been really good, which I'm relieved about because I didn't know if it it would get out there and people are like, this is uh, crap and I can never use this for anything. So I'm really happy that people are like already actually building real things with it and, and seem to like it. That's cool. I um I know that it's primarily targeted at least right now for for new apps. So I've got a couple apps that I'm going to try and shoehorn it into and see what it, the process of adding it to a pre-existing app looks like. So I've only played around with it on kind of fake things. 
But yeah. the amount of time when I come up with a little side project idea, the amount of time that I spend doing the things that Spark does is just blowing my mind. So I'm like, I want a new idea so that I can justify using Spark on something. Yeah, totally. So as far as as far as timeline for Spark goes, though, um, I don't really want to put like a final timeline on the final release because um, I don't know. People just hold you to it naturally. So I want to give it time to really uh, marinate and, and get better. And I think there's still, there's a lot of improvements and polishing that can be done before it's, you know, pushed out as a final stable thing. We're talking at least weeks though, and possibly yeah, months, sure. somewhere in yeah, that general possibly months. Yeah. So it's, it's to its and and having kind of done a dive through and also knowing just how much things change when you get feedback, I would recommend to anybody listening, don't start, don't found your SAS on it right now. Like, play around with it, but, like, if you... And, Taylor, you can correct me on this if you want, but I would just say, like, feel free to play around with it and, like, dig into it, but, like, you're going to be really frustrated uh, with the amount... Likely, if you do a whole bunch of work founded on this, and then you see the amount of changes that happen uh, between now and the actual release. Yeah, for sure. But look at it and, and imagine how you would start building your idea and see what things would not work for you in current Spark and then leave feedback, and maybe it's something that can be improved. Yeah, I mean, uh, and the one the ones where I'm planning to add it uh, to a pre-existing app, I just spun up a branch named Spark so that I could try bringing it in and just seeing kind of like how well it works and everything. So I can both give good feedback and just kind of see, you know, like, is this going to work as easily as I think it will? So cool. So um, so Spark has happened, but there's also been some new stuff going in. You know, a, a lot of people wrote about uh, a little bit that went into 5.1.11, but there's some other new features that have come out since then. Um, so could you, uh, both of you, I don't know who, which one you use most, well, I guess Taylor, you must be, but I don't know if you're up to date, Jeffrey, but what, what's others, what other stuff has been going into Laravel in the last kind of six or seven dot releases? So a few new, big new things were, um, the fluent routing stuff, which has been like long requested and much agonizing has gone into figuring out how to do that, where you can just say route, get, you know, and then your, your URI in your controller, and then you can chain that and say, um, with name and then give it the name. So you don't actually have to make that array with the as key and all that. So the main kind of use case there is if you've already written the route, it's just sort of like extra keystrokes to convert it all to that array format. And when you could just string on with name on the end. So it's really convenient if you already have a route that you want to name and you can just throw that name on there without converting it to an array. Um, so that's really nice. Another one is with the new ACL policy stuff, um, say you have a policy that that um, sort of regulates blog posts or whatever, and you have a create. So you want to say, can this user create a new blog post? Um, previously, you would have to pass in like authorize, create, and then say new app post because you didn't really have an existing instance because you're trying to uh, determine if they can create a new post. So it was kind of awkward to new up a model when you when you um, are just checking the policy. So now you can just pass the model class name. So you can just say um, authorize, create post colon, colon class. You know, you can just, uh, send in a string class name for the policy. Uh, what That's else? really helpful. Yeah. Query, query macros, which I announced on Twitter today. So you can actually define, um, a query builder macro. Like the example I gave on Twitter was I can say DB query macro, and then say for user and pass it a callback. And then I can just, when I'm doing a fluent query or an eloquent query, I can say like order where price greater than whatever for user ID of one get. So I can actually add methods to the query builder with this really cool kind of macro um, extension syntax. 
That's pretty nice. When you first tweeted that, I was trying to figure out, like, okay, well, we already have query scope, so why would you do this? But when you think of it, it's like, well, yeah, you add a query scope, but then it's it's basically locked to that model. So when you do it this way, it's not just locked to the model. It can be used globally, but it's also not locked to Eloquent, as I understand it. You could just use it basically with the the DB facade if you want. Is that right? Yeah, right. Exactly. And so the main thing that could come in handy for is, say, like you wanted to add... Um, like a full text search where clause to queries. And that's kind of cumbersome to do with, because you'd have to use where raw, right? And pass the raw SQL string. But you could just define a macro like um, search or whatever and pass it a string and let that macro construct that where raw statement for you. And then you can use that kind of full text search um, all over your database queries. I hadn't thought about that but I feel like any time I end up writing raw SQL, like I feel, especially like in an ORM, I feel like, oh, I'm cheating, right? Like I, And so I feel like this might give me some freedom to be like, no, there's just some times where the ORM doesn't do what you need to do. And just, you know, this maybe could give me a level of comfort to like think ahead of time. What is this thing that I need to do? The ORM doesn't do, write the macro, and now it'll still look beautiful and fluent <laughs> in yeah. line as I'm writing it. And there's database vendor specific stuff like with Postgres, they have that JSON column type and they have like JSON operators for where clauses. And all of that is not really built into the query builder because it would be sort of like a leaky abstraction because not all database systems support that. But with query macros, you can add like where JSON contains or whatever and have it construct a Postgres specific query. Yeah, that's nice. Will this be 5.1 or is this down the line? Yeah, that's in 5.1. I just pushed it out today. So whenever the next uh, stable tag goes out, then it'll be available. Fluent routing, I should say, is also in 5.1. You you breezed a little bit through the fluent routing, routing, but I want to respond to that. So I remember talking to, I don't know his actual name, but his hipster Jasbo on uh, LaraChat Slack, like I feel like half a year ago about this. And when he originally proposed it, I was like, well you know, maybe this is wrong, maybe this is bad, maybe this is good. And and as I thought about it over time, I think the thing that I got excited about is because like, so if you remember the changes, I think it was in 5.1, where the, the structure for defining artisan uh, commands went from whatever Symphony has by default to this new like kind of string syntax where it's just really simple and clear and you're writing the definition of a command the same way you your brain thinks about it. And it, as we were looking at that, we were saying, well, I don't have to memorize this and memorize that. So I think one of the benefits of the fluid, fluent routing is definitely the convenience like you're talking about. But it also is sometimes it's hard to remember which parameter comes when or, you know, or there is the aspect of like, well, I guess we should always wrap all of them in the arrays so that we can use the as and the uses and stuff like that. So I feel like it's there's definitely a benefit of like it's not going to care the order of as versus uses versus with versus whatever else it's just going to be named and it's sort of like a named parameters kind of thing, right? Like it's no longer about memorizing orders of things or constructing massive associative arrays. Now it's about like a little more method callie kind of thing. So I think it grew on me over time. I'm pretty excited to try it out. Yeah. So you can do right now you can do with name and you can also do with middleware. So you can add a middleware fluently to a route as well. Cool. Well, we, um, is there anything else you guys want to talk about, about new features in Laravel before we move on? Hmm, that's the stuff that jumps out at me. Um, I, I've been working heavily on pull requests today, so there could be more cool new stuff going in soon in the next few days. Yeah, cool. I'm excited to see it. Um, so Taylor put out a request on Twitter to see if anybody had anything we want to talk about, and we don't have enough time to talk about everything. We got over 30 tweets. 
but there's at least two that I want us to cover. Um, so the first one is a general quest. And almost everybody didn't, they didn't ask a specific, specific question. They just said multi-tenancy, you know, just like that phrase. So I'm, I'm going to say a few things and I want to throw a couple pieces to you guys. So when I hear multi-tenancy, what I, what I think of people talking about is not just individual users in the, um, in the application, but usual, usually it's something like multiple companies. So if you ever use something like a Slack or a Harvest or something, and you've got your company name dot harvestapp.com. And when you log in your company name, it's basically like a customized SaaS for your company and pretty much everything you're seeing in the whole thing is scoped just to your company and there's different user roles and groups and teams and this and that and the other but everything is 100% scoped to your company and usually one user can be a member of multiple companies so you can switch from you know I can switch from the Titan Slack over to the Laravel Slack or whatever else and 100% of it switches the only thing that persists is just you know my user account between them and so it's hard to even begin to talk about that in a you know a twenty minute uh, podcast. But um, I wanted to throw out two resources real quick, and then also wanted to throw one thing by you guys. So um, the two resources is, is one Philip Brown who ri- runs the site Cult. I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce that. Um, he did a thing about a year ago um, on multi tenancy in Laravel four, um, and so he's doing a lot of good thinking about kind of how to set up scopes. I think he actually yeah he created a context or a concept called like a context that he kind of injects all these things through. But also Matt Machuga, who's, who's a great guy and a great teacher, um, did an entire uh, Tuts Plus course on building multi-tenant apps in Laravel. Um, and just Google building multi-tenant apps in Laravel, and, and I'm sure it'll be the one that pops up. And it's a, you can, if you're subscribed to Tuts Plus, you can get it or you can pay 15 bucks for it. So he's a great teacher. And, and I would, if you're really, really interested in this, I'd really recommend uh, you spend 15 bucks and get that. So, you guys might not have anything to say in this because you might not have done kind of multi-tenancy type stuff in the past. But the big question I would ask is, I think the foundational thing is, let's say you end up in a situation where you basically need to, because of tenancy, scope literally everything you do in the entire application, right? So the contacts list has to be scoped. The users list has to be scoped. The permissions set has to be scoped. The, you know, the whatever. Literally everything, single thing you see in the entire app, except for this tiny little bubble that is a currently logged in user, needs to be scoped. What would it look like for you to do that kind of scoping? You know, is that the type of thing where you look at yourself and say, every single time I'm writing a query, I'm going to add a, a scope of some sort? Are you thinking about some kind of global level scope or is it just something you guys haven't thought about before? No, no. I'm looking at this cult article right now. And honestly, I just haven't built an app like that. But yeah. you know what? this seems kind of overly complicated to me. I don't know. Like, do we have to do all this stuff? I don't- uh, when, when I read his article about a year ago, it felt like too much work for me and it felt too complicated. But um, I feel I'm, I don't know if I've actually ever built something like fully multi-tenant to the, f- the point where it actually need all this stuff. You know, I know I didn't prepare you guys for this a little bit. So sorry, I didn't give you a chance to do any research or anything. This actually looks a lot like um, this looks a lot like the work we did on Snappy um, with this context and tenant repository. Like even the names are the same. OK, well, maybe that is what it looks like. I, I it's I wanted to say, yeah, I've done multi-tenancy a lot in Laravel. And then I thought about it and I was like, nope, I've done. User, I've done basically what Spark does, you know, users that can be in teams. I've done that a lot, but I haven't frequently done. And But I guess like users in teams, there's still a lot of that scoping. But I think you're doing stuff based on relationships, right? Like, you know, this account uh, contacts all or this account contacts find something. And so your scoping is via that relationship or something. So it's tricky. I've never built 
outside of Snappy, which we actually did use this whole concept of context and repositories, um, which people can read about on this blog article. But it, it worked out okay. Uh, Forge and Envoy were a little, just a little simpler in that they had less queries and stuff. So that was more like I would have a repository where I would say get servers for, and I would actually just pass in the user into that method. Mm -hmm. And then that would just manually add a where user ID, blah, and then get the results. So there wasn't really any automagic uh, scoping happening in either of those projects. I just did it more kind of manually um, adding to the queries as needed. I think the manual scoping is the part that I tend to do where I'm just like, well, I know that the scope needs to be limited in this way. So I'm going to limit it in this way. And I feel like there might be the recipe for pain there because you might be like, well, what if you forget? And then and this one, it exposes some of these data. Uh, so may, and so maybe that's the wrong thing. Uh, but again, at least for the stuff that I've written, w- I love Philip Brown's stuff, so I'm not criticizing him. But this looks like the type of thing that I would avoid unless I found myself in a situation where I was just like, it's way too complex to do it any other way than this. And it sounds like from your experience with Snappy, those situations definitely do exist, but it may not be what we're writing on a day-to-day basis. So. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the Pundit library in Ruby, which a lot of the Laravel ACL stuff is based on, has this this idea of scopes, actually, for multi-tenant apps. And it basically allows you to say, if I don't scope the query um, during this controller method, then I want you to throw an exception. So basically, hmm. it actually forces you to scope every query so that you don't forget, like you were saying, because that is sort of like the the main downfall of the the manual by hand approach that we talked about is if you forget one, it could have pretty serious you know security implications for your app possibly. Um, so that's an interesting concept too. People might be interested in looking at. Yeah, and I think especially if you're in a multi-tenant situation, situation, regardless of what you're using, you might want to end up doing some integration tests just to prove, like at a base level, that people are aren't getting access to the things that they shouldn't get access to. Um, one of the thing, one of the things we've done recently that I've liked a lot is that a, a look, a lot of my code igniter code in the past was, um, get the ID of the thing you're looking for and then compare its owner ID against the auth ID of the current user. Um, and so every single thing has that kind of check up at the top, you know, a guard statement and, uh, it, rather we now just write, you know, user things, user contacts, whatever, find, and that ID and whether the ID doesn't exist or the user or the ID doesn't belong to this user, regardless, it'll do a 404. And so it's just a little bit like a little bit of simplicity about like inherent scoping by not looking in the table, the table, the database table itself, but instead in looking in the relationship of people who already should have access to the thing or whatever. Yes, I do that a lot. I You can leverage Eloquent to keep your multi-tenancy in check. Um, if, Like you said, if you use the relationships and dig through, like I'll do um, user servers, had or exist or count or whatever and just make sure because that is scoped for you yeah exactly and it's so much cleaner that way too all right so um we've already covered the i, I will just throw this out real quick a lot of people asked about laravel based cmss we've already covered uh the concept that there are many of them um in the past so i don't think we need to dig into those again um one thing worth noting though is that pyro cms is rebuilding on um, Laravel at some point purportedly and also Statomic I think is on Laravel now like their, the version their ver- version 2.0 will be it's not out yet you can pre-order okay, it's not it. out yet yeah but Statomic is fantastic so there's at least there's some mainstream options and I think something worth noting in the CMS world where I spent a lot of my time is 
it's it's valuable to get a CMS from people who understand how to make CMSs, not just people who use a technology that you happen to like. And I'm not trying to say that like people who just started a Laravel CMS are bad or anything like that. But like CMSs require a lot of uh, front end and UI understanding. So like Craft CMS is the favorite one that I use, and they were the best de- uh, expression engine plugin developers. And they left the expo- or they didn't leave, but they they went off and created their own. So like when from day one, you know, Craft is going to be good because you know they had to know how to build like good user interfaces. So there's something where like yes, it's cool to have a CMS in Laravel, but just just FYI, when you're CMS hunting, don't just let Laravel be the one thing that gets you excited. I'm hoping we're going to have lots of combinations, and and that's to say that the Statimic folks know what they're doing, and and I've never used Pyro, but I'm guessing they've been around long enough that they know what they're doing too. So. All right. So another question: What books are we reading outside of tech books? So, what is the latest uh, non-tech book, or what are you in the middle of right now? Um, I'll go first. Um, I, I've read so many tech books at this point. So, like, I, I used to read fiction a little bit more, but then once I became a developer, it's like all I read at this point, which which probably isn't good. But like, um, if I can cheat and say what tech books I'm reading, <laughs> I've been going through this one refactoring to patterns for like many months. It's one of those big Bible type books where it's like, you can't just go through it in one read. You know, you don't read it over the next week and you're good to go. You kind of have to just let it soak in over a few months. So uh, that's the main tech book by my bed. Uh, otherwise, a couple of months ago, I finished The Martian, which is the first mm-hmm. fiction book I've read in a very long time, which I just thought was fantastic. Um, I read a lot of personal finance books. Um, just on um, everything, everything from like Dave Ramsey type stuff all the way up to you know to higher level stuff on investing. I'm reading a book uh, called The Millionaire Mindset right now. Just on it, it's basically a review of people who have done really well for themselves and what similarities they have. And what you find is you know people like to talk like um, they're all these like head hotshot bankers, but no, actually a lot of your millionaires are typical middle class people. Who, who just started a business and have done really well for themselves, and you would never know that they were extremely wealthy. So I'm, I'm very interested in kind of learning about that. And um, yeah, that's what I'm reading right now. So in contrast to Jeffrey Way's quest for uh, being a multimillionaire, I recently finished Harry Potter and the, <laughs> the Sorcerer's Stone. I, I actually read um, the first four Harry Potters when I was a kid, and I never finished the series, and I've actually forgotten like basically everything. And so I, I read the first book, and that was just like a few weeks ago. I finished it. Uh, so now I've got to move on to the second book. That's the last uh, uh, the fiction book I read. Um, I'm also halfway through The Alchemist. Uh, that's a fiction book, but I, I haven't finished that yet. Hopefully I can finish that out. Yeah, the Harry Potter books are great. I've read all of them. So, oh, um, fantastic. Yeah, you're in for a treat. Especially the later books. It, those That series is so good because it kind of grows up with you. So, like, if you're a kid and you read the first one, yeah. by the time you read the final book, like I did, it's like you're you're basically an adult, and the book is for, in many ways, uh, adults at that point. So, it's nice how it grows up with you. That's cool. Are you going to read all of them, Taylor? Uh, that's the plan. Yeah, I'd like to read all of them. We'll see how it goes. So, side side story related to Harry Potter, but I still take a lot of heat from this for my family, but... One year we went to the beach and we went to Florida to Destin area and Harry Potter and um, the Goblet of Fire had just came out, which was like the first Harry Potter book that was like seriously large. You know, it was like 600 pages or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, And I literally sat in the hotel the entire week and read Harry Potter. I did not go to the beach, but like maybe one or two times. No. (laughs) 
Oh my god! I haven't lived you that down geek, either, Taylor. I know. I thought you were going to say I sat on the beach reading instead of you know while everybody else was playing on the beach, but you didn't even go down to the beach. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. Uh, so I it's a good book. I love Harry Potter. I won't lie. Um, but I in 2012, um, I met uh, quite a few other geeks at LessConf and was talking with a few folks in the lobby afterwards and realized that. Uh, I had stopped reading fiction and I grew up reading a whole ton of science fiction and fantasy and I just stopped for years. Basically, when I got to high school, I just stopped. And we were just talking about how great Ender's Game was and a couple of things. And I was like, you know what I really want to do? I want to work through a whole bunch of classic sci-fi, like read, like go through, you know, some list of 100 classic sci-fi or whatever. And so uh, we started a book club that meets every month. But one of the guys in the book club said, I don't really like sci-fi. I just wanted to read a book with you guys. So we ended up reading a whole bunch of really fantastic books, almost none of which were sci-fi. Well, he left recently. <laughs> so now uh, the remainder of the group is like, oh, sci-fi. So we're working through NPR's top 100 sci-fi and fantasy books. So my most recent one was Seven Eves by Neil Stevenson which is one of the most impressive books I've read in my entire life. And it's extremely long. It's 820 pages, I think. It could have been probably two books, maybe three. There's two very significant movements. I think it probably could have been three pretty easily. Yeah, I know this book. When I finished The Martian, Sean McCool was saying, if you liked The Martian, this should be the book you read next. I was and just going to say that. It's, list. it's massive, right? Yeah, this is a it's, huge book. But it's, it's the same kind of a pr- approach as the Martian of like the, you know, relatively near future using only technology that we can kind of relatively predict right now. No fantastical things, not even like wormholes and stuff like that. Very close to earth, very realistic stuff, but extended v- very deeply, like, like to very, so it's really realistic, like the Martian, um, but 820 pages of it and more than one person so you could just imagine with that amount of time and not just being a single person in a single planet but this whole concept uh i don't know how to reveal much about it without kind of giving away too much i should open up the book description but it it was one of the most impressive books i've ever read in my life so when are y'all reading is this in the morning is this in the evening i personally read at night like for me like I don't know. I'm I'm on the computer way too much. But you know, like for me, I get to this point where I'm on the computer, but I'm just not accomplishing anything anymore. And it's like I, I'm focusing less and less on code and more on just switching between Facebook and Twitter. And usually that's a point where it's like, okay, I'm done. And so at that point, like my head is done. I can't look at a screen anymore. So I don't even use a Kindle or an iPad for reading anymore. I went right back to simple paper books. Uh, so yeah, I do that in the evening. I um I read two times. One time is I read in the evening when I read when most normal people watch TV. So I don't really watch TV anymore. Like even my favorite ser- series on Netflix, I haven't really been regularly watching any shows for a pretty long time. That's not like a I'm not being pretentious. It's just convenience of life. Um, I have switched 100%. I have a Kindle and I don't use it. I have an iPad. I don't use it for reading. I do all my reading on my phone because it's with me everywhere. And so I, at night I sit and I read. Um, but the other time that I read is anytime I've got five minutes because I've got it on my phone and you could just as easily flip open Kindle on your phone as you can flip open Facebook or Twitter or something like that and do something that's not actually useful. So when I've got a book that I'm excited about every lunch, every five minute break I take during the day, like every spare second that happens when I'm waiting on someone to get ready for something, I'm like, eh, five minutes of my book rather than being frustrated. I'm like, great. I get to learn what happened in that one thing. So (laughs) you people are better people than me. (laughs) I feel like. When do you read? I don't read a lot. That's the point. 
You just I finished Harry Potter. Potter like two weeks ago. It's a children's novel. Y'all are reading like 800 page speculative children's sci-fi. book, man. No. Have you read? Did you read The Martian? I can't remember. Me? No, I haven't read The Martian. Yeah. You Try should read it, man. It's good. Yeah, and it's not 800 pages. You have to get into it, though. Like the first 50 pages, it's very, very mathematical where it's like, okay. I'm getting a little overwhelmed because it's like, okay, well, if I have to do this, then this divided by this times this would equal that. So that's the amount of seed that I'm going to need, you know, all that stuff. And it's kind of cool at first. And then you're like, okay, I'm I'm done reading mathematical equations. But after about yeah. page 50, you get very into it. Especially if you liked that, uh, what was that iPhone game we were bragging about? Um, yeah, the Dark you know, Room was Taylor, it? The character. It's kind of like that, but like the book version of that. It's it's very, very good. Okay. So we are way, way, way over time. We've got more things to talk about, but we need to get to... I don't know which of you put these in here, but the first one is, do you prefer texting, calling, or emailing? Why? Okay, why don't we do that one? I didn't write any of these, so these are all Taylor. Um, <laughs> me, like a hundred to one email. I, I get very annoyed personally when people are like, hey, uh, can we schedule a time to call? And then you arrange the call, and that's always takes like five emails just to arrange the call. And then you do the call, and it's like five minutes, and I always think, wow, I, I could have done that through an email. We could have handled this so much more quickly if we had just sent text. So unless it's something where it very much needs to be a face-to-face conversation, I would prefer email just about all of the time. For me, phone would be like the dead last thing I would want to do. Like, I would rather just meet face to face in person than talk on the phone. Like, to me, that would be a lot better. So, I would probably say email texting. Or at first, it would be meeting in person would be my most enjoyable, preferable way of talking to people. I, it would just be the most fun if we could just meet and have lunch in person. Then it would be email, texting, and then dead last at the very bottom would be phone. Well, yeah, I assume we have to clarify. I didn't, I didn't even think about this. We have to clarify what we're talking about. If we're talking about work-related stuff, I would prefer email. Obviously, with friends, it's not like I'm some terrible person that never wants to have lunch with them. <laughs> so yeah. it context does wanna, fit into this conversation. I don't want to talk Go to ahead. friends on the phone even. It's just, yeah. I don't know. It's just kind of more awkward. Yeah, I agree. I, 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 there's literally never a time where I want to be in the phone. <laughs> and I, I, I never put those words to it originally. And then my business partner, Dan, started saying it. That way. I was like, yeah, that's true. If it's a friend, and, and this may actually be true for non-friend things, I want to be in person. If it can't be in person, I want to be like a video hangout because it's basically in person with a little bit of like a screen in between you. Um, if it's work, I would have said email, but now I don't even want email. I want it in Slack or I don't want it to happen. So uh, we basically don't really use email very much. And I hate email. It's overwhelming. It's it's overburdening. It's usually not the right way. So for me, everything in work should be, unless it's like I'm con- uh, talking with somebody outside of the company, we don't have a relationship yet. Great. Send me an introductory email. That's an action. But the vast majority of communication work-wise should be either a Google Hangout, um, a Screen Hero pairing session, or in Slack. Like that's kind of the way we want it. For friends, casual stuff where it's just like information exchange or with my wife, texting is great. Texting. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't think I would ever want a phone call for anything ever. Yeah. I mean, here's a good sign. On my iPhone, the phone app is not in the dock. I don't even have it there because <laughs> I, I literally yeah, never touched it. Me neither. Actually, now that you mentioned that. I kind of felt like a terrible person the day I removed it from the dock because I'm like, oh, I don't talk to anybody. <laughs> but you know what is? I, it's, I feel better now knowing that you guys would prefer not to as well. I have one real phone call in the past week from my dad. I've got a, oh, basically it's my wife and, yep, my wife and spam calls. That's it. (laughs) Yeah. The only calls I get anymore are like appointment calls and stuff like that. 
But yeah, for example, like I'm working with uh, Jack McDade, the guy who built uh, Statomic, on the next design for Laracast. We don't do email at all. Everything is through Slack. That's the only place I communicate yeah. with them. So if we were like exchanging emails back and forth, it would be kind of a nightmare. Okay, let me ask you this. Do you have your own Slack room with Jack? Is Jack cheating on me? <laughs> <laughs> he, it's it's through his uh, Wilderborn. Is that the name of oh, his company? Wilderborn? Yep. He's cheating on me. It's like a... It's, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> I thought I was the only person they were letting in there to talk in Wilderborn, and now I found out that you actually also have a secret chat in Wilderborn dun, dun, with exclusive dun. access to chat. We'll, we'll, we'll settle this later. What's your room called? That's really none of your business, Taylor. <laughs> I should say, this is getting... <laughs> mine is called Winnebago. Oh, mine's just called Laracasts. Maybe I'll... Oh, well, okay. Maybe we can change that to be something a little better. Anyways. Um, so one thing I was going to throw out is I, I, I realized uh, Telegram. Telegram over text. Yeah, Telegram is nice. Tele- oh, gosh, Telegram yes. is basically everything that texting is, but better and more convenient and more universal, so... I mean, texting is reserved exclusively for people who get to know your phone number. You know, anyone yeah. else is like, no, it's Telegram or, <laughs> or email. All right. So we've got some more things, but we're just going to punt them off to the next one. Unless, Taylor, do you really want to do this? This one right here, is this, is this going to happen? Or I don't know. The one meal we want to eat every day for the rest of our life. I'll just make it one word, Chinese food. I don't know. This is going to be pretty hard. And you're cheating, too. You just said, like, a whole style of food. That's like me saying American food. <laughs> like, you're lo, cheating. Lo mein egg you rolls, do kind of have to pick a meal. Suit. All right. I, I, the, the only reason I may regret this is because it's really heavy, and I might want not heavy some days, but I don't care. Um, and I'm not considering health either here. Caveat, caveat. Um, my wife's basically deep southest, deep southest meal ever. So, like mac and cheese and greens and you know cornbread and black eyed peas and probably fried chicken and yep so uh for all of you who always wish we talked about more this is the longest uh laravel podcast since i've joined so there you go keep asking us good questions on twitter and we won't be able to help ourselves so anything else you guys want to talk about before we call it quits for the day Nope, we're good. This is going to take me a long time to edit, so thanks for that, guys. Thank you, Jeffrey. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, see you guys next time. Take care.